Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Bright Side of the Sun podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, the host of this podcast, and I am joined today by a very special guest. Uh, he is known as the D-League aficionado. I would like to officially coin him as the Adrian Wojnarowski of the D-League. Uh, it is Chris Reichert. Chris, how are you doing today? Life is good, man. That intro was uh, way too kind, but life is good. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm shouting out Chris. Uh, I actually found Chris because I am a University of Arizona diehard, as most of you know, on the site. So when I'm looking up and seeing like how Nick Johnson's doing and like or Kevin Parham or all these like obscure U of A names, like I'm searching their names on Twitter and this guy keeps popping up with all these box scores from the D League and like letting me know. And I'm like, this guy really knows his stuff. I should give him a follow. And then Sure enough, a couple years later, here's Chris on the podcast to talk about the Northern Arizona Suns, of course. Uh, if you're not familiar, the D-League um, franchise for the Phoenix Suns was the Bakersfield Jam, solely theirs for the past two years, right, Chris? Yep. And now they have moved the franchise to Northern Arizona to Prescott Valley. Uh, they're going to be playing their games at the Prescott Valley Event Center. It's really a great venue. It holds over 5,000 people, so they're going to be able to play in front of some really good crowds, and more importantly... The franchise is much closer. It's about a two and a half hour drive, give or take, from uh, like Talking Seek Resort Arena straight to that arena. So the the um, team is much closer. But let's start off first by talking about the growth of the D League because they recently had um, their expansion draft. They moved from nineteen to twenty two teams. Uh, talk about just the growth of the. Oh, I led with the talk about question. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> so uh, just tell me a bit about the growth of the dealing in the past couple of years because it really has turned into a legitimate feeder system for the NBA, right? Yeah, so the last I mean the last four years you mentioned the three teams were added this year as expansion teams. Uh, that was Windy City, the Windy City Bulls who are Chicago's affiliate, the Long Island Nets who are Brooklyn's affiliate, and then the Greensboro Swarm who's Charlotte's affiliate. So um, those three were this year and then in three, the three past years, there was one each year with Delaware back in 2013, uh, and that's the Sixers affiliate, Westchester, who is the Knicks affiliate, and then the Raptors 905, um, who's obviously the Raptors affiliate up in Mississauga, uh, Canada. So six, six new franchises in the last four years. So it's definitely growing. Um, we're up to 22 teams. I would say probably in the next three seasons max, not including this one coming up. Um, we'll be at 30, you know, so it's, yeah. it's growing. That's the goal. Um, NBA clubs are really starting to realize the value in the D league and really developing young talent. Um, and it's, and it's evident really in the assignments as well. I mean, two years ago there were 195 assignments and that's players going from the NBA to the D league, either to their affiliate or to another D league team. If they don't already have their own affiliate. Um, and just last season we had a record 321. So it wow. jumped. It was a big jump, you know, from one season to the next. Um, so they're using it. They're using it a lot. You see it with guys like Eddie Tavares from the Hawks. You see it with Archie Goodwin from the Suns. It's usually a lot of young players who might have normally spent time being a draft and stash, and now they're they have those these close affiliates, and they're using them in their system. They're learning the schemes. They're learning the lingo. They're playing in their offensive and defensive systems, and they're um, I think it's just they're more apt to produce for the NBA club in a shorter time span. So it's definitely growing. Um, it's growing in popularity as well. The attendance over the last five years has has grown from 1 million even to 1.3 million last year. And that's just general attendance. 
Um, all the games are on YouTube, so anybody can watch the games. You don't have to have League Pass. You don't have to have you know, anything like that. And obviously the quality is not NBA quality, and that's why you don't have to pay for something. But you can watch any game you want on YouTube, and they archive all of them. So you can watch any game, and it doesn't have to be live, which is great for me as a writer. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, doing that last year when Alec Brown got a – or two years ago, actually, when Alec Brown got a couple of uh, 15, 20 games in with Bakersfield, I want to say, and watching his games back, and I was looking for the just, like, clips, hopefully. And then I just stumbled upon, like, the full game. And I was like, this is incredible. I don't know why more leagues aren't – well, obviously for TV reasons and money reasons, but the, it's really a useful tool. Yeah, it's it's great for, I mean, I, I work full-time on the side, too. I mean, so this is my side thing, you know, covering this league. So mm-hmm. um, for me to be able to stay up late and watch rewatch a game, uh, rewatch you know, half of a game and then rewatch you know, a different half of a different game is is just super beneficial for me because it doesn't have to be live. And, um, and pulling the clips from YouTube is great as well to just kind of get these guys more exposure. And some of these names are, are big names, like you said, Nick Johnson, um, Jim Fredette played last year. You know, you, so you got guys that are recognizable, and then you have guys like maybe a Derek Cook Jr. who played for Bakersfield last year who's not known but who has value and, and people need to see. So, um, you know, that's, that's really why I cover it. It's why I enjoy covering it, and um, it's, been, it's been a fun, fun thing so far. Yeah, you really do a terrific job. I meant to plug your website at the beginning, by the way. That's Upside and Motor. That's just UpsideMotor.com. They do a terrific job of covering pretty much every basketball element that's kind of involved in the NBA that's not in the NBA, if that makes sense. They cover all of like the college players, the international players. So if you're looking for anything on the 2017 NBA draft already, for example, they have tons of stuff over there on guys like Markel Fultz and uh, Harry Giles. Uh, but yeah, I meant to plug that earlier, so I got my plug in now. Uh, but <laughs> speaking to the growth of the league, one of the players that we saw was actually from the Suns affiliate last year was Xavier Munford, who played, I believe, over 40 games in Bakersfield and then went on to play playoff minutes for the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, the Memphis was obviously a rare situation where they had so many injuries, but it speaks to the usefulness of the D-League because they went and got guys like Munford, and they had other D-League players on that team, right? Yeah, yeah, they use they use a lot of guys last year because, like you said, they were just riddled with injuries. But uh, Munford was a great story, man, because you know he didn't play a ton his first year on Bakersfield because they had Joe Jackson running the point, um, so he was kind of playing behind him. And then last year he got the reins and just ran with it and really, really improved. And when you talk to Ty Ellis, who was an assistant for Bakersfield, now the head coach. Of Northern Arizona, he just he just raves over the growth and maturation of a guy like Xavier Munford, and to see him get that opportunity and then really just flourish in that opportunity is that's that's like the coolest thing about covering this league is because nobody knows about these people, and then all of a sudden they're playing playoff minutes, and everybody's like, "Who are these people?" <laughs> and and so, that's what the league is all about. Because right, if exactly. Take, if you take Munford in an NBA situation like that, where he's just on the end of the bench, can't get any minutes, and he gets cut. He's just gone. He's playing somewhere else, but he has a direct link to the NBA now. So that's and then the stability somewhat of the D League keeps him in range of that chance, and he got that chance really, really a big chance. Yeah, and he I mean he ran with it, and he's you know he went to two different junior colleges, ended up at University of Rhode Island. So I mean he's not like a typical hey I went to Duke for four years and I just couldn't make an NBA team you know he's been fighting for this chance for you know the last six years if you include his college journey so um, really cool to see him do that I was kind of sad that they let him go um, I know that he's still working on trying to get into an NBA camp 
Um, so hopefully that happens so he can get another opportunity and, and make a 15-man at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, let's move on to the team in Prescott Valley. Now, one of the things that stood out to me when I was looking into the D-League, preparing for this podcast, was that a lot of teams, uh, compared to like a couple of years ago, have really done well to keep their D-League teams close to their NBA affiliate, and that's something the Suns obviously had in mind with this move. What's the direct impact of that? It obviously makes moving players a bit easier, but does it really in theory? Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely helps. I mean, you could see a guy like, you know, a guy like Dragon Bender maybe or Marquise Chris, you know, they they practice with the Suns team. The next night they play a game in northern Arizona and then they come back and they're back on the bench for the Suns if they have a game at home the next night. So it makes it very easy. Um, Bakersfield, yeah, you toss them on a plane or something and it's it's just as easy, you could say. But having them there, having them in state is just going to build that that kind of fandom there up in Prescott. So um, like you said, I mean, Prescott's beautiful, man. It's, it's mm-hmm. I lived in Phoenix for like five years. I would have much rather lived in Prescott. Yeah, I, mean, I can speak they, to that too. I've lived here yeah, my whole life and I would much man. rather be in Prescott. <laughs> they get four seasons. The Grand Canyon's <laughs> right around the corner. Yeah. They get snow. I mean, so uh, I think those fans are really going to really like the product. Um, and, and hopefully they fill that place. I mean, I know you said it's 5,000 fans. There's not, a, not too many teams getting drawing that many every night you know it's like Rio Grande Valley Iowa Energy and and maybe the Texas Legends um so if they can get somewhere between three and five you know that'd be great for them um you know build that camaraderie with the fans and with the community so it's cool to have them close like you said it's it's definitely something teams are doing um I think Oklahoma City definitely is the closest their dealing team is literally across the street wow (laughs) they have an arena across the street from Chesapeake (laughs) Bay and it's uh you know, so they're close. The 905 is close. They're on a, in a suburb of Toronto. Um, Cleveland seems in Canton, so obviously that's close. The Pacers teams in Fort Wayne. So, you know, proximity is is kind of the, the way to go right now. Before, you know, that wasn't really an option because they were just already established teams, and that's where they, they kind of took over. Um, but now that, again, it all goes back to that value that NBA clubs and NBA owners are seeing, you know, and they're, they're shelling out. It's about $7 million for a new franchise. So they're showing that out, and then they're building arenas or taking over existing arenas and and plugging them in. So I think it's a definite benefit as far as like product on the court. I don't know that that's you know I don't think that really changes. Mm-hmm. But the benefit of being close um, is just as simple as it sounds. It's just that the the proximity itself is just. They a found they found like the right community because you said you lived here, so you know like in Tempe it's all Arizona State, in Tucson it's all University of Arizona, in Flagstaff it's all Northern Arizona. So if they would have moved the team to one of those three cities, I would have been way more skeptical in terms of how many people show up. But like Prescott is a city that can like rally around that singular team, and that's something I'm really excited to see. Hopefully, the growth. Um, of just sports in that city in general. Yeah, I think I think the the general just is that you don't put a, one of these dealing teams in a major city with who already has you know other events going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a lot like minor league baseball where they they find teams that are close, maybe not necessarily all close because they have three different affiliates, but um, like the Seattle Mariners, they have a team up in Everett. You know, there's no other sports teams in Everett, and Everett's not too far from Seattle. It's about thirty minutes, but still, it's far enough that they can get fans who just go to those minor league games and every now and then hit a Mariners game up. So I think that's that's the kind of gist of what of what NBA franchises are doing. And, and like you said, I think Phoenix hit a home run by putting it in Prescott. Yeah, I think another home run they hit was hiring Ty Ellis. Uh, Ellis has been had, had a D-League background going back to he played in the first season of the D-League. 
and he spent time as an assistant there. And the vibe I got from reading uh, your Q&A with him, which you can find on UpsideMotor.com, and uh, the podcast you had with him was that this guy is very similar to Earl Watson, and that seems like a perfect fit, really. Yeah, I mean, he, when I when I talk to him, I, I kind of get the idea he's a great motivator, he's very disciplined, and he's gonna he has no problem holding these players accountable. Um, the other thing is that, you know, he's an experienced pro himself. You know, he played in the inaugural D-League season, and then he had a very successful 10-year uh, international career. You know, he even played with the Georgian national team. Um, he talked about being really good friends with Zaza Pachulia. So anybody who's friends with Zaza Pachulia is cool in my book. So <laughs> that's that's the immediate positive for Ty Ellis. Also, he doesn't like pineapple on pizza, so I'm good with that. Oh, you know, man. those people are the devil. <laughs> the worst, man. Come on. So, uh, now, in all honesty, I think he's going to do really, really well there. He's got, um, obviously, a good relationship with any of the returning players because he was an assistant there last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he spoke really highly of Chris Gent, who was the head coach last year, and how much he learned from Chris Gent, um, which is awesome. So, you know, the, the D-League a lot of times gets looked at as, you know, it's this opportunity for players. It's also an opportunity for these coaches. Earl Watson was a D-League coach just two years ago. Yep. You know, he was on on the Austin Spurs um, bench. So it, these guys are getting called up as well. Jordy Fernandez was the head coach of Canton and now he's on Denver's. He's an assistant coach with Denver. Uh, Jesse Mermis was the head coach of the Raptors 905 and now he's on Luke Walton's staff in LA. So the coaches are also working for that call up. So they're, they're, they're grinding away just like the players. And a lot of the issue I think with some uh, these players is fans will say, Hey, this guy's putting up 20 and 10 every night. How come he's not in the NBA? Well, you know, first, the competition isn't the same. Second, there's a lot of off-court things that, that go on in people's lives as well. You know, so I don't think talent is a lot of these top-tier guys' issue. I think the maturity, I think the basketball IQ, you know, and those are things, Ty Ellis, you can just tell when you talk to him or when you read anything about him, to be honest, is that everybody speaks very highly of him. He's very professional. He's, he's a hard worker. He's been that way his whole life. Um, and he's going to get the best out of these guys, whoever's on his roster. Yeah, you can say your negatives about a guy like Earl Watson, but the one thing he has created is structure in his locker room and the respect of his players, and that feels exactly like what Ty Ellis is going to be doing. And to your point, that's even more important in a D-League scenario because, like you said, uh, a lot of the problems for a good chunk of these players is like maturation and going through that growth, and that's something where a coach like him can help. We've been talking about like how seamless this can be with like moving players, and then, of course, with a coach like Tiles, who's similar to Earl Watson. But another thing they're going to be doing is just running the similar sets, and he's going to be uh, having a dialogue, of course, with Earl Watson throughout the season, as you would expect. But they're going to be running the same sort of offense. So I think the thing to keep in mind with having a team there is that it's going to be much easier than you, th- than you would first believe to move a player from like Phoenix to Prescott Valley for a day and then move him back two days. Some people might say, oh, well, he's going to miss practice time and all that. And it's like he's going to be running the same stuff practically with Ellis uh, as opposed to Watson and the NBA guys. Yeah, and there's no – I mean, in my experience last three years covering this league, there's no experience for – or no replacement for live game experience. You can say all you want about an NBA practice. If you've ever witnessed an NBA practice, it's like – if you played college basketball or you watch a college practice, it's they're going like 10% as hard as what a college team goes because they're playing 82 games. They're traveling all over the place. It's a walkthrough is what an NBA practice is. So if, you're, if you have the chance to go play in the same scheme, same system, same lingo, 
but do it in a live game setting playing full speed you know that in is in and of itself is is has value so the fact that they're that close and like i said they can send a guy like chris um Ulis, bender down and, and get a night or two or a week of games i mean they usually play two games a week maybe in the d league so um, that's why you see them go up and down so often because there are sometimes five, six days in between games. It's not the same as the NBA where they're playing back-to-backs unless it's the weekend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, the benefit is definitely there and it's, and it's certainly going to help that they're you know, singly affiliated and, and that they're running 98% of the schemes that the Suns will run. The timing of this move seems perfect to where the roster is because you mentioned guys like Chris Bender and Ulis, but there's also... Alan Williams, Archie Goodwin, John Jenkins. Uh, John Jenkins' contract situation is still up in the air until pretty much right before the season, I believe. But there's six guys on the roster, and I'm, I'm probably forgetting one or two, that could theoretically move for, to Prescott and come back to Phoenix on a pretty regular basis. What, what are your impressions of some of those players, like mainly Archie? What are your impressions of Archie? Because you have seen him play for Bakersfield. Yeah, I've seen it, and and he's improved. I mean, I think he's improved. I think a lot of his his early issues were uh, mechanics. You know, I think I think he needed a lot of work on his jump shot. Um, the athleticism was obviously there. The the fundamentals were there. The just the raw talent was there. He just needed work. You know, and you could see it from season one to two, uh, as far as the mechanics on his jump shot, as far as getting a little bit faster release. Um, things that you don't need in high school when you're, you know, a phenom, you know what I mean? So those kids aren't working on that back then. And then he spent one year in college where, you know, he didn't do as well as everybody thought, but mm-hmm. you know, he comes out, he's still a, a high pick and you know, he's just, he's still growing, you know, he's still very young, so he could still be playing there. Um, I don't envision him getting a lot of time there, but he could, you know, I, I think when he got minutes, um, the last couple seasons for Phoenix, he played pretty well. Um, the other issue was hit with him is just a little bit defensively. It's not all there. Um, but I, I think more so I'm excited to see a guy like Alan Williams, um, Tyler Eulis, Chris and Bender. I don't think Chris and Bender will spend a lot of time there because they're high picks and a lot of top 10 picks don't spend a ton of time in the D league. Um, but I think it could be beneficial if they can't find minutes, you know, for them in Phoenix um, right away. And both of them have defensive concerns, um, regardless of how talented they are and, and, and how much potential they have. Um, Chris is Chris is very gifted. I, I just think he's a ways away defensively. Um, and Bender, from what I saw in Summer League, he seems kind of far away in Summer League yeah. er, as far as defense as well. So, you know, they, they might send him down and they might not put up huge numbers because they're working on specific things. And that's the other thing I think fans need to realize is that when they go down, they're not going down and saying, hey, drop 40. That's not beneficial to them. You know, they're... They're saying go down and work on your pick-and-roll defense, work on, you know, flashing to the basket off the weak side of the pick-and-roll. You know, they're working on very specific things when they go down there um, if they're doing it right. You know, that's what they should be doing. And it's also also a positive to the players because it's not a we're demoting you like it's uh, baseball, for example. It's no, we're sending you down there because you're sitting at the end of the bench and we want you to get minutes and improve outside of practice. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it still does have a negative connotation with fans where they say, oh, why are they doing that? Well, you know, if you're looking at big picture, you know, Chris and Bender aren't the saviors this season. You know, Mm -hmm. if you look two and three years down the road, that's when they're going to be huge contributors for the Suns. I mean, that's what the Suns are banking on when they take those guys, you know, top 10. So, um, 
you know, there's there's few instances where a top 10 guy, you know, they're not Carl Anthony Towns. They're not going to come in and just dominate immediately. There's, you just don't get those every year. So have, having a, a club this close to where you can send them there and, and build their confidence, you know, in, in, in game situations is, is a definite benefit. All right, Chris, I really thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll have to, if you can come back during the regular season at some point, we'll have to check in with the team. Uh, something we're going to be keeping a very close eye on, of course, especially given how likely it is to see some of the youngsters down there. But I really thank you for coming on uh, to the podcast. Yeah, man. Anytime. Anytime. All right. Thank you. That has been another edition of the Bryce Out of the Sun podcast, guys. I think this is going to be our last one until training camp gets underway, and then we'll start our season preview bundle of joy that I'm sure will come in the next month or so. Uh, Until then, guys, see you.